0: You are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. Resorts across the state have closed their doors, sending thousands of hotel workers home and hotel guests packing. We talked to Chris Tatum, the head of the Hawaii Tourism Authority, about writing out this shutdown of our number one industry and what's ahead when we get past this tumultuous time. Right now,
1: our latest count, we've got 121 properties closed. They've stopped operations. Usually hotels and accommodation properties, they still have security on staff. They have engineers who maintain the facilities and those parts, but they're just not accepting reservations. Where our role as HTA was initially to advise the leadership in the government on what we think will have the biggest impact relative to how we can, as an industry, support what their goals were. The idea of First of all, uh, sharing with the visitors that It's probably not a good time to come here. They should focus on their health and well-being and wherever they live. And then the second piece was when there was the quarantine announcement, which, again, that was clearly we, we had long conversations with the governor and how we can support them on that and how important that is. And it sends the message to the world that we're focused on our community right now. And we love what you've done over the years coming here. And we still love you. However, this is not the time to come to Hawaii. We're focused on mitigating the spread of the virus is here. And also, we want to make sure we have the resources from a medical standpoint to take care of the residents that live here. So, you know, when you think about it, on a normal day, we would have 250,000 plus visitors here in the state of Hawaii visiting across the state for the most part, those visitors are gone. So the hope is by doing that, it frees up resources to focus in on our residents. And that was really our goal behind it. So we wanted to do it in an orderly manner. So fortunately, the governor made the announcement, I believe it was on a Saturday. And then uh, we had most of them out by Thursday, by the time the quarantine came around. You know, the quarantine, it's not really your ideal vacation to come out to Hawaii and spend two weeks in a room, but more importantly, they should be taking care of their own situation wherever they live and allow Hawaii to take care of the residents here.
0: You know, over the weekend, I've had a couple of calls from people who were concerned about vacation rentals, so they were certainly uh, putting pressure on, on some of those visitors.
1: Well, I live in Kailua. I will tell you, there in our neighborhood, places where you had vacation rentals, clearly I have no problem with explaining people that what they're supposed to do. The challenge we have with the illegal vacation rentals is we don't know where they are. We don't know all their addresses, and that is a challenge for that segment. Hopefully, as we go through this process, that's going to be an important thing that we reevaluate. I know there were already, those counties were working hard to address that challenge, but that was, I think a lot of it was the impact on the neighborhoods. However, this this really brings out the challenge we have in an emergency situation on communicating with those people. So that is going to be an ongoing. I, I think we need to continue to put it out in the market. We've got it in all of our channels. We provide the direct Department of Health information and the um, CDC information through all of our channels, all of our global marketing partners, all of our websites to try to get that information. The platforms have even expressed to us that they are emailing all of their customers that information. I hope they are, but that's what they have told us when we've reached out to them. We just need to continue to communicate.
0: We're just coming off of the decision by Japan to postpone the Olympics, and I know you were mm-hmm. in Japan with the governor you know, earlier this year trying right. to talk up the Olympics and surfing and, you know, what a great opportunity is to showcase Hawaii. Any thoughts on that going forward?
1: Well, it just goes to show you how quickly things change. You know, when we we were in Japan, the Japanese uh, residents, they love Hawaii. This is their number one aspirational destination. And there's such a connection here with Japan for a number of reasons. The postponement of the Olympics, I think, is clearly the right decision. And our hope is that we can support them in 2021. They are very respectful of, of Hawaii. I've done a couple interviews with the with the Japanese media and explained to them why it's important for them not to come. And they, they get it. They understand it. They need to focus in on their residents and their community. I think Hawaii will always be destination that the Japanese visitor wants to come to. Offer. They clearly know, and uh, we're, we're continuing to put it out to everyone, this is not the co- time to come to Hawaii.
0: And, you know, one component of this is as places shut down that occurs to me is security. I worry about the retail shops and, you know, the hotels. So I'm sure they're going to have to beef up their security just to protect from uh, anyone, uh, you know, up to no good. In, in
1: discussions with the hotels, the ones that I've talked to are already, are keeping their security staff on. You know, what they don't have to do is that, you know, most of the hotels do have a security team doing rounds up on the floors. So obviously they don't need to do that when the room, when for the most part, the hotel's empty. So they're, I think they're just redeploying their resources to the perimeter of the properties and being able, not only from a security standpoint, but to answer questions for people who try to, uh, to enter the, the facilities, to explain to them what's going on and making sure there's a clear understanding on whether the hotel is accepting business or not, which, to be honest with you, the most of them are not.
0: Anything else that you think is going to be priority here in the next month or so, as they expect the number of cases to, to spike?
1: You know, I, I think our role, uh, I think in the industry in general, is really to focus on this social distancing and making sure that everyone's aligned and the quicker that we address it and make sure that we're doing everything we can to stop the spread no matter how aggressive it needs to be I think the better for us in the long run hopefully the residents of Hawaii which I've been all my life understand that you know it's really it's most of the visitors are gone now so now it's up to us. You know, are we gonna are we gonna step up and say, hey, listen, we're this is our home, this is our community, we're not gonna let this spread occur, and we're gonna keep our social distancing, we're gonna wash our hands, we're gonna do everything that the health health experts have told us to do. That's gonna be, I think, the future for us. And I, I, I believe that's the case. Uh, you know, as obviously we've got a lot of things that we're doing seven days a week. I try to walk around Waikiki periodically, see what's going on. I walked around Kailua over the weekend. For the most part, I think people get it, but there's still I, I still think there's there, we still got a ways to go to really make people understand that this is this this can kill people and. We're in a, not a huge community. We've only got a million four people that live in Hawaii. We can, we can make an impact if we're all all in it together. But, you know, if, if everyone's not on board and understanding that, you know, whether they're a high risk or not, they could pass it along, that's going to be how we are either successful or not.
0: In talking with the uh, economist Paul Brubaker, he brought up the issue of the technology. Is that these unusual times are forcing us to to rely on technology more and more? Once we get on the other side of this, have there been discussions started about how we can employ this technology? I think in some cities they're they're actually screening people, you know, as they come in to find out if you've got a fever, not just signing a form, you know, or there there may be apps to track people, you know, uh, when they come in. Okay, where did you go? And you know, mm-hmm. you've got to check in daily just so we know you are where you say you are.
1: I think he's right. I don't uh, that's clearly not right in my lane on that technology. We're actually using all of our social media and technology to get the information out to the, the visitors not to come now and then eventually we'll use that to get them to come back, but when they come back I guess to your is the question on how's that going to how's that going to work because Reality is we're a vacation spot for people from around the world, although certain areas may be farther along in the process, all of them come to visit Hawaii. I think we need to figure out how, at at what point will they, will we allow them to come back and and what's the process going to be when they do come back. And I think to your point and what Paul's point is, you know, there has to be something that makes people feel comfortable. Uh, I know that that, that's how I feel about my family I'm you know I I want to make sure that we're not bringing the virus in
0: I guess maybe the other point too is you know once we get through this is there anything that you worry some aspect of this economy that may not come back
1: I think you know a lot of the things are happening relative I guess with the with the federal support of small businesses you know my our focus right now is making doing everything we can to have the employees in the industry keep their benefit health benefits as, as long as this crisis is, as occurs. Most of the big companies will have committed to 30 to 90 days. But if it gets past that, how do we, how do we support um, these, these companies to, to keep benefits for our employees? Because I think the, the unemployment benefits are great. And I think it's important for them to be able to, to pay their bills. And, and that's just a basic e- economy. But they need to have their health insurance. So that's one of the things we're really focused on right now. Um, as far as the future, you know, I'm concerned about how uh, a place like Hawaii that receives visitors from all over the world, you know, when will we feel comfortable that we got to make sure that whatever we do, we feel comfortable that we're doing everything we can to protect the, the people that live here. I think that's what concerns me the most, on um, making sure that we have a process to do that in the future. We've been fortunate to this point, the numbers, Yes, the numbers are going up, but, you know, when I look at these other states, it's scary. So we just, I think we have an opportunity now to do the right thing and do everything we can to prevent the spread.
0: Okay. All right. we've got to keep our fingers crossed and wash our hands. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Catherine, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. We have been talking with Chris Tatum, head of the Hawaii Tourism Authority.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Inkinen Executive Search. Since 1992, helping Hawaii organizations find leaders from across the nation and around the world. I-N-K-I-N-E-N dot
0: In our backyard quiz, we look at a Japanese stone lantern on Kauai that was lost, but has since been rebuilt and restored. Japanese immigrants looking for work on Hawaii's plantations first started trickling in during the late 1860s. By 1900, the Kingdom of Hawaii census counted more than 60,000 men and women of Japanese descent. Those immigrants, also known as Issei, still had ties to the motherland. Issei on Kauai even raised funds for Japan during its war against Russia in 1904 and 1905. After the conflict, the Empire of Japan showed its gratitude, sending money to Kauai so they could build monuments to honor fallen soldiers and the ascension of a new emperor. The community decided to build stone lanterns, or Ishidoro, in Kapa'a and Lehui, the 15-foot tall lantern in Kapa'a was made of concrete and had designs etched in redwood that were pressed into wet concrete. It was completed in 1915. However, in 1943, as anti-Japanese sentiment grew because of World War II, the county of Kauai toppled the lantern. Our question today is, which Japanese emperor were they honoring with that lantern? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689- If you think you know the answer, the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. This recession will surpass anything we've seen in our lifetimes. Those are the words of University of Hawaii economist Carl Bonham. He addressed state lawmakers on the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic this week. HPR's Ryan Finnerdy has been tracking developments. He joins us now. Good morning. Morning, Catherine. So yeah, quite a week. Lots of developments.
3: Yeah, and they've been coming really quickly. It's been very difficult for economists to kind of keep up with it and continue making new projections. And it seems like As soon as they make one set of predictions, we kind of blow through those. But what we do know right now uh, is that there were at least 80,000 new unemployment claims for the month month of March. Uh, That's the number used in the UHERO, the University of of Hawaii Economic Research Organization report. Uh, On one day in March, in mid-March, there were 20,000 new claims on just one day. And to kind of put that in perspective, the average unemployment level in 2019 was around 20,000 people statewide uh, on a monthly basis. So we saw in one day we surpassed the average level of of unemployment um, that we saw for the whole of last year. Um, Visitor arrivals have also dropped to functionally zero, according to the Department of Business, Economic Development and Tourism, their daily passenger survey. Uh, using airline arrivals shows that there are almost no visitors coming to Hawaii anymore. Um, And in the restaurant industry, uh, that's another uh, pretty troubling area for this crisis. 13% of all workers in Hawaii's workforce are in the restaurant industry, and the restaurant managers I've talked to that are able to stay open using takeout and and, uh, phone orders, are saying their business is down at least 80 to 90%, some of them have just closed entirely. Um, There was some analysis done by University of Hawaii economist Peter Filecki using data from OpenTable, the restaurant reservation website, and it showed that by mid-March, restaurant traffic in Honolulu had declined 100% compared to last year. So the big question on everyone's everyone's mind is how bad will this be? And we don't really know, but here is what University of Hawaii economist Carl Bonham, who you mentioned at the top, said earlier this week.
1: We know Hawaii is already in a deep recession. That recession will surpass anything that we've seen in our lifetimes. There's really not any comparison that you can make to an economy where you've basically shut down hospitality and tourism uh, and w- will remain shut down for several months and uh, you shut down much of the local economy hopefully that will begin to come back faster uh, but even as the health crisis wanes in Hawaii even if it passes quickly it's going to take an extended period of time for the recovery to previous economic levels. And the really disturbing part about all this is that no one can say with any real certainty about how long the recovery will take.
3: And that's something Bonham has been saying for the last month, at least, before this uh, crisis really took off locally, is that we don't know how long this will take, and it, everything will depend on how long it takes to contain the virus. Um, and and that's been reflected in, in the data. We have uh, blown through previous projections that have come from... UHERO, the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization that Bonham had, and they released their latest projections this week. And there's a couple of really stunning numbers, and the one is unemployment, uh, which shows Bonham said we could see unemployment in Hawaii as high as 25% in the coming months. That would be for second quarter, so April through June. Um, And that's huge. That's one in four people. That's the same level that the United States saw nationally during the Great Depression. So uh, that is a a really uh, enormous number, if it bears out. Uh, The second figure is state tax revenue, so the latest report says, tax revenue coming to the state could drop anywhere between 10 and 25 percent, so similarly huge drops. And that figure really highlights how fast moving the crisis has been. Less than a month ago, the Council on Revenues, which is the body that projects Tax revenue for the state said that its projection of no change in tax revenue, so neither an increase or decline, was a conservative estimate. And now we're talking about optimistically a 10% decline, and on the, the low end, 25%. So the changes are coming very rapidly, and unfortunately, they're not uh, moving in a good direction.
0: We've heard uh, from a number of people that we've just got to, like, brace ourselves for the next couple of weeks because, you know, we're going to see a spike in cases and and, and more layoffs, and everybody's feeling the pain. And I know the State Labor Department is uh, pushing to really help those small businesses. I think they've got another uh, facility that's uh, opening in Kaka'ako. To be able to process like the small business issues, they just need more help.
3: Yeah, the labor director, Scott Murakami, told me they are staffing up. They've increased uh, the number of people processing unemployment claims by almost 40. And there is also this huge uh, $2 trillion relief package coming from the federal government. It hasn't quite hit yet, but the money should be getting out to consumers and businesses in the next couple weeks. It's called the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Stimulus Act, or the CARES Act, and it did things like expand unemployment benefits, offers emergency small or emergency loans to small businesses, as you mentioned, and it also guarantees paid sick leave for some employees. If you want to find more information on it, Hawaii Senator Brian Schatz has built a really easy-to-use guide for that law and its new benefits. Um, And you can find it on his Senate website, and it kind of breaks it down based on benefits for business owners, for homeowners and renters, for employees needing unemployment, and and it kind of goes down by the numbers. So that's a good way to find out what you're eligible for and and what you could possibly expect from the federal government.
0: We did talk to uh, Representative Ed Case, and he said the same thing. He's gotten thousands of calls. He also has a a number of links and uh, on his website as well, so lots of uh, areas where people can go to to get good information.
3: Yeah, and it's it is significant. I'm sure a lot of people out there are feeling like they're on their own, and and as you mentioned, we just have to kind of hunker down for the next few months. But people should know this really is uh, an extraordinary uh, effort by the federal government, at least from Congress, financially. Um, It's the largest stimulus package that's ever been passed by Congress, but it's also been one of the most rapid. And I spoke with Beth Geesting who runs the Hawaii Budget and Policy Center, and she told me that uh, compared to even our last downturn, the Great Recession, this has been a really fast response.
4: The federal and even the state government are taking relatively swift action. Um, Certainly, we never saw a couple of substantive bills come out of Congress this quickly during the Great Recession. Um, this is almost lightning speed for government action.
3: But even with that lightning speed uh, and the record-breaking value of this stimulus, a lot of people are already speculating that Congress will have to step in with even more financial support later this year as the pandemic is now projected to last well into the summer.
0: All right, we'll have to... Hold hands and see how this all works out. But thanks so much, Ryan.
3: Uh, maybe not hold hands, but... <laughs> That's true. Feet away.
0: Social distancing. <laughs> well, that was HBR's Ryan Finity with the latest COVID-19 forecast for the University of Hawaii Economic Research Office.
5: Everyone's routine has changed, even ours. Hawaii Public Radio's Spring Pledge Drive was scheduled to start tomorrow, but we're postponing it so we can continue bringing you the most current news during these important times. We're committed to our mission and public service, keeping you informed with the facts. We're also listener-supported. Please contribute today at hawaiipublicradio.org, and thanks.
4: Even when your days shift and change, some things don't, like HPR keeping you informed with news you can trust and providing an oasis of music when you need it. So stick with your routine and stay connected at home. Listen to HPR on air, online, or on your smart speaker. Whether you're working in your street clothes or in your pajamas, HPR is here for you. Just ask your smart speaker to play Hawaii Public Radio.
0: Our first COVID-19 fatality and now new information released about areas which have the most positive cases. That's the subject of today's reality check. Honolulu Civil Beats reporter Eleni Gill on the line today. Good morning. Aloha. How are you? Oh, gosh. You know, when I looked at that uh, map, I'm thinking, oh, I live kind of in that zone (laughs) where you've got the most cases.
4: Yeah, this is something that we've been asking the Hawaii Department of Health for for some time now. And on earlier this week, they released new data on their website. And it shows um, a map island um, by island of where the most COVID-19 cases have been confirmed, um, but by zip code tracked areas, which is actually used by the census. Um, so what these maps are showing is in general, sort of, they, they broadly indicate where um, patients who have been confirmed to have the coronavirus live, but not necessarily where they might have picked it up.
0: Right, and and you know you can pick it up traveling or uh, you know at work. So yeah, we don't have yeah. that breakdown.
4: Yeah, it's according to the data that we do have from DoH, at least half of Hawaii's cases um, are travel related. Um, the UH has only classified about eight cases as community transmitted and that's data as as of Tuesday. Um, We're due to get the latest count today at noon in about half an hour. Um, But Director Bruce Anderson said yesterday that the eight cases that have been classified as community transmitted cases, they're not all from the same census tract. Um, But when you look at the maps, They do, um, clearly Oahu has had the largest number of cases, and you see what's interesting um, is that the certain areas do seem to have um, a higher range of um, COVID cases. When you look at Oahu, for example, um, the Wailai-Kahala census tract zip code area, and then the Kailua and even the Marine Corps base in Kaneohe, That seems to be the hot spot in terms of the residences of patients who have been confirmed to have the um, coronavirus here in Hawaii.
0: It is a good map to have just because, you know, I'm just starting to reassess, okay, what's my footprint? You know, where do I go, Um, you know, the drugstore, the grocery store, uh, and, you know, if there are more cases in my neighborhood, you know, makes me want to take extra precautions.
4: Yeah, and I want to give a shout-out to technologist Ryan Ozawa. He took the um, images provided by DOH and laid a Google Maps over it to give it a little bit more detail. Um, the DOH says that it will publish these and update these maps weekly, so every Monday we're expecting to see um, an update on this, on this visual to sort of track how COVID-19 might be spreading in the islands. Um, but Banai and Molopati still have not had any cases yet, so that's good.
0: Yeah, and we did have our first fatality, our first death linked to COVID, uh, and so that, that's very sad, but we, we knew the day, you know, was going to come.
4: Yeah, you know, earlier this month, there had been an inaccurate reporting of the first death, so we, we kind of went through that again, um yesterday on Tuesday when they announced the first official COVID-19-related deaths, although um, Director Bruce Anderson said that, you know, there it's not exactly clear what the exact cause of death was, but this elderly Oahu man did have a positive COVID-19 exposure, so um, they'll continue to investigate their condolences to that family. Um, looking at the the number of tests so I think that have been conducted statewide. We are at about 9,000 to date, and um, today we'll get the most recent numbers. But of the more than 9,000 tests conducted, we've had 224 cases to date.
0: Yeah, and I, I noticed that it was mostly the uh, private sector, the private labs that are doing most of the testing. The numbers for the Department of Health lab still pretty small.
4: Right, yes, and DOH just started to say that state laboratories division is acting more as a reference lab to verify those results. Um, a lot of patients were facing long delays in getting their COVID-19 diagnosis their um, test results, and that was in part because our private laboratories here had to rely on their sister laboratories on the mainland um, to get you know ship those specimens off to the mainland and then them um, have the results communicated back. But now uh, health department officials are saying that the private labs here do have the in-state ability to get those um, test results here on island. And so folks should be seeing, if they are tested from here on out, they should be seeing the results much sooner. Um, officials say about 48 hours now. Right. And so then your around should be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, you uh, Your story also mentions the community surveillance, a new kind of su- online survey that Uh, is reaching out to the community just to kind of help identify potential exposure.
4: Yeah, that was um, quite interesting. Yesterday, the very first um, COVID-positive result came from that randomized sentinel surveillance um, testing that they've they've been doing. They've conducted about 380 samples where they're taking uh, specimens that – were negative for the flu, so these are folks who had flu-like or COVID-like symptoms, but they ruled out influenza. And uh, the state has been randomly pooling them, and one out of about 380 have tested positive now. So we'll need to pay close attention to that um, because they are, you know, sampled across um, the islands, and it would theoretically be a sign of community transmission. Although um, Director Anderson said yesterday. We do not yet have widespread community transmission. Um, Of course, that is what they have documented so far in terms of the tests that we have actually administered.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for for that story, Eleni. Thank you. That was reporter Eleni Gill with today's reality check. To read her stories on this health crisis, visit civilbeat.org. And we now turn our attention to Europe with the BBC as it continues to update us with the latest COVID-19 cases on the other side of the globe.
5: This is the coronavirus global update on Wednesday the 1st of April. Hello, I'm Oliver Conway with the latest on the pandemic. In Italy, officials say the daily number of fatalities is at its lowest level for six days, but more than 60 doctors have now died. The authorities in the Netherlands are investigating whether group or herd immunity could stop the spread of Covid-19 and the Wimbledon tennis championships have been cancelled. More than 30,000 people have now died of coronavirus in Europe, more than three-quarters of them in Italy and Spain. Italy has reported its lowest number of deaths for nearly a week, while cases rose slightly. The outbreak there continues to take a heavy toll on the medical profession. More than 60 doctors have died. Giovanni Leone is from the Italian National Federation of Doctors. They worked without the right equipment, like proper masks, and they weren't given them. Not enough have been tested... We were completely unprepared. China showed us what we needed to do and we didn't follow it. Spain reported more than 860 deaths on Wednesday, its highest daily number yet. While the total confirmed cases of COVID-19 there have now exceeded 100,000. But health officials in Spain believe the infection rate has now stabilised. Tight restrictions have come into force in Poland as it tries to prevent the spread of the virus there. All public areas have been closed. In the Netherlands, the health authorities have invited 6,000 people to take part in an investigation into group or herd immunity. It's hoped the study will throw light on our ability to develop antibodies. Anna Holligan is in The Hague.
6: By measuring those antibodies in the volunteers' blood, the scientists will be able to work out how many people have actually been exposed to the virus. They will also investigate how long these antibodies stay in the blood and their quality, which will show whether the country would be able to combat a second round of infection.
5: The authorities in Iran have been calling on people not to go outside to celebrate the last day of the Persian New Year holiday. The official death toll in Iran is just over 3,000. Runner rahimpoor from the BBC Persian service says people are following the advice to stay at home. People go out in the parks, public gardens, to celebrate uh, the spring. And we have received videos from all over the country. Nobody's out. It's, it's quite a sombre feel to it. it. It seems that people are now taking it very seriously. Algeria has become the latest country to release some of its prisoners in response to the outbreak. The Algerian president pardoned around 5,000 detainees who had 18 months or less of their sentences to serve. Jordan, Egypt, Bahrain and Yemen are among other countries to have freed inmates. Emergency measures to control the outbreak in Afghanistan have been extended to several more provinces. All flights have been suspended to and from Herat, which borders Iran. There's growing concern that the large number of Afghans returning home in recent weeks could spread the virus. Global stock markets have fallen again after President Trump warned of a tough two weeks ahead for the United States, where the outbreak has worsened. Here's Andrew Walker. That warning about the dangers to US public health has reinforced concerns over the economic consequences of dealing with the new coronavirus. Investors are constantly looking for clues about how long any restrictions, voluntary and officially imposed, on commercial activity might last. In New York state, the epicentre of the American outbreak, nearly 2,000 people have died, while another 8,000 new infections have been recorded, taking the total there to more than 83,000. The UK has seen its highest daily total of coronavirus fatalities, with a top health official saying the figures are concerning. The Business Secretary, Alok Sharma, announced the latest numbers at the Daily News conference.
2: Of those hospitalised in the UK, sadly, 2,352 have died. This is an increase of 563 fatalities since yesterday. The youngest of them was just 13 years old.
5: The latest event to be cancelled because of the outbreak is the Wimbledon tennis tournament. It's the first time the championships have been called off since the Second World War. Joe Curry is our sports reporter.
0: There was talk at one point of potentially holding it behind closed doors, but even when you get rid of the spectators, you still have to have the tennis players themselves, the coaching staff, trainers, medical help, ball girls and ball boys and umpires and
6: so forth.
5: The pandemic has also prompted European football's governing body, UEFA, to postpone all fixtures for men and women's national teams that were due to be played in June. They include the already delayed playoff matches to qualify for the Men's Euro 2020 Championship. The Champions League and Europa League have been suspended until further notice. That's it for this edition. Thanks for listening to the Coronavirus Global Update.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a mission to create transformative experiences through art and committed to standing with the community during this time. Updates on reopening at HonoluluMuseum.org. This is Jose Fajardo, President and General Manager of Hawaii Public Radio. Now more than ever, it's important that all of us here at HPR focus our attention and resources on keeping you up to date and informed which is why we have postponed our spring fund drive, originally scheduled to begin today. Listener support sustains HPR as an independent, locally owned and operated service. If you can, make a personal contribution at hawaiipublicradio.org and thanks. I'm Bert Lum, today on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll find out about distance learning, especially now with students sheltering at home we'll explore some of the best practices and delivery platforms effectively replacing the traditional classroom experience. That's today at 6 30 p.m. on Bite
5: Marks Cafe.
0: In today's Backyard Quiz, we were looking at a Japanese stone lantern in Kapa'a. In 1915, with funds from the Empire of Japan, immigrant plantation workers built an Ishidoro, or Japanese Stone Lantern, as a memorial to soldiers lost in the Russo-Japanese War and to honor the new emperor. The lantern, though, was toppled and buried during World War II because of anti-Japanese sentiment. It was forgotten for decades until 1972 when children playing at Kapa'a Beach Park noticed a metal rod sticking out of the ground. County of Kauai Cruz realized it was part of the Ishidoro Monument. And at the time, no group was ready to cover the cost, so it was reburied. But it was uncovered again in 1987, and an effort led by Mayor Tony Kunimura and the Kauai Historical Society re-erected the monument. However, it stood supported by steel braces. In 2008, with an award from the Kauai County and the U.S. Housing and Urban Development um, Department, the lantern was restored under the leadership of the Kauai Lantern Restoration Committee and the Kapa'a Business Association. An inscription on the Ishidoro reads, Great Japan Emperor Accession to the Throne, Coronation and Commemoration Lantern. The emperor it honored was Emperor Taisho, who was coronated in 1912. And congratulations to our winner, Jen from Maia, got it right. That's today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
2: Support for the backyard quiz comes from Locations, whose realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Updated property listings with photos and select virtual tours at locationshawaii.com.
0: You know, this COVID health crisis has impacted the 2020 census. Uh, The counts are said to be slow to come in. Now, HPR News was there at a community outreach meeting in Kapolei, the last one before the campaign was shut down because of crowd, si- crowd size restrictions. It was targeting the Chamorro community. Here is UH professor Faye Antolan munoz urging fellow Chamorros to make sure they are counted accurately so the community doesn't lose out on federal programs and services.
6: Uh, Faye antelon a preciso na tavan matufon preciso na tavan matungo sa zangentin man matunguhin man malilingo shay sit issues am programan isinya kuma buresi tawta
0: On hand for that census gathering at Kapolei last month was Esther Kia'aina. The native Hawaiian grew up on Guam. She worked as chief of staff in the office of Guam Congressman Robert Underwood and then with Hawaii Congressman Dan Akaka. She also worked under President Barack Obama as assistant secretary for insular areas, so she has firsthand experience with the issues across the Pacific.
6: We fought to make sure that all who were indigenous under U.S. jurisdictions got their own box. That is why you see Native Hawaiian, Samoan, and Chamorro. Anyone who is not either of those categories must fill out the box. Do we have anybody from the Northern Marianas in the room today? Do you know people from the Northern Mariana Islands? Yes. I appeal to you to tell them that there should only be two categories for them. They only should be filling out, if they're Pacific Islanders, Chamorro, or they write in Carolinian. They are the only ones in whole Micronesia who use the term Carolinian because they are descendants from people who came from Micronesia a long time ago. What we are finding is they are putting down Mariana Islander, putting it in, Saipanese, Rota. It is not helpful. What that does is it takes away from the Chamorro count. Okay? Again, Tell your friends from the Northern Marianas to please check off Chamorro or, of course, Carolinian. If they're another ethnicity, then check it off. But that is one reason that the Chamorro count is being hurt.
0: Now, Esther Kiaina shared the little known story behind why there is a separate box for Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. It started out with a handful of Native Hawaiian students attending college in the Bay Area who took their concerns to Akaka's office and the Hawaii Congressional Delegation.
6: The box. Which includes Chamorros, uh, Samoans, and Native Hawaiians was actually fought for in the 1990s by the California and Hawaii delegations. The Census Bureau and all federal agencies must follow the White House Office of Management and Budget guidelines. Mm -hmm. What is important now um, is that we have um, our, when, when we fill out the boxes, The numbers are all rolled up into a Native Hawaiian and Other Pacific Islander box, and prior to 1997, it did not. Even if you checked off Chamorro or Native Hawaiian, you were considered Asian for all intents and purposes. And that's why, in the early 1990s, some students from Kamehameha Schools who were at Stanford University contacted Senator Akaka and said, Senator, it's not fair. When we fill out college applications, we are considered overrepresented in college because there is no box that is reflective of us. And so they were going across the country with other students to have universities voluntarily change their boxes. And they asked if he could help them. We looked into the issue and Senator Kaka tasked me to contact the U.S. Department of Education to see what guidelines provides guidance to universities in how they have the various racial classifications on applications. And that's when we found out that it's actually not um, an individual agency that does that, but rather the White House Office of Management and Budget. And in 1997, it was called OMB Directive 15. And there were only uh, four categories, white, black, Asian or Pacific Islander, an Alaska Native or American Indian. And so Senator uh, felt strongly about the issue and over a course of a few years, basically fought the Office of Management and Budget for the disaggregation of data for Native Hawaiians. And while it took a long time, we succeeded in 1997. It's called the OMB 1997 standards. And there currently is five categories, white, black, asian american indian or alaska native and now native hawaiian or pacific islanders
0: so the communities the chamorro communities the samoan communities really have to give credit to the hawaiians that that small group of hawaiians that were going to school in california that that thought this was
6: unfair that's correct and i think if someone does research on the number of native hawaiians and pacific islanders who have gotten into higher education institutions including ivy league schools you will see an exponential number because prior to 1997, we were considered overrepresented in college. Can you believe that? We were considered the healthiest in the nation. So it had a dramatic impact. And so this is now the third census in which when Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders check off their boxes, our numbers will be rolled up into our own category. And it's critically important because it's not just about the federal funding that the state of Hawaii receives. It's about the fair share of federal funding that Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders are due. When Senator Akaka was fighting for why it was so important um, for our voices to be heard with the White House, he said that at the time under the UN Declaration on on Indigenous Peoples, um, there was an article, Article 33, that said indigenous peoples have uh, a right Uh, to determine um, their own identity, and he felt that as Indigenous peoples, uh, that the United States should respect that. And so for anyone who's listening, whether you're Chamorro, Tongan, Samoan, Native Hawaiian, Marshallese, you need to ensure that your voices are heard because uh, on April 1st, you want to know and want to record that you exist. And it's not just as a uh, people, as for your family, it's as indigenous peoples. And I also mentioned that genealogy is critically important. When you think about the fact that 72 years from now, your information will be public, the census is important for future generations, uh, your descendants, but it's also important going back into time. As I mentioned with my grand-aunt, uh, Mary Ayu, who in the 1940 census showed that she lived in North Hilo. And she was originally from Keanai, Maui. So people don't understand, again, about the importance of the census beyond federal funding. It's about who we are as a people. And because we are now disaggregated on the census and all federal forms, it's imperative that our communities be be counted. So I do believe that it was important to have an outreach meeting with the Chamorro community because they're woefully undercounted. According to the 2010 census, there is more Marshallese than Chamorros in Hawaii. And I find that hard to believe. And I think it's just important for people to understand why we all need to be in this together and to just reach out to their families and friends and uh, make sure that they're counted.
0: That was Esther Kia'aina talking about the story behind the box on the 2020 census, the Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander box, and why it counts. To find out more, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you're out online, make sure you fill out that census form. Well, we do have to go now, but tomorrow we check in with the movie industry as it bids aloha to Hawaii 5 after 10 years of filming, now against the backdrop of the COVID crisis. Leave your feedback about COVID-19 on our Talk Back line, 808-719-8217. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us back at HI Conversation. And email works to back at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can find all of our archive shows online at HPR News and Talk for The Conversation on hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.